1: Welcome to episode 85 of Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. I'm Marcy Larson, Andy's Mom. It seems that certain guests come onto my show at just the perfect time for me in my personal grief journey. When I looked at her website, Shakti. S H A K T I artstudios.com and saw some of the beautiful art that she has done for families who have lost children. I really was blown away. It was really special to me this week because I am just a few days away from having to go through another one of Andy's birthdays where he would be 17 years old. So it's been a challenging week for me and Farhana's just light was exactly what I needed. Her affirmations and her spirit that she shows to others through her art and her writing and just how she lives her life is really inspiring to me. And I know you will just love listening to her today. So please enjoy Isha's mom, Farhana. (music) Thank you so much, Farhana, for agreeing to be on the Always Andy's Mom podcast today. I look forward to talking to you.
2: It's such a pleasure to be here.
1: Yes, I was just sharing earlier with Farhana that I'm a little more emotional today because I am Andy's birthday is coming up this coming Wednesday. So I'm going to give that as just a little bit of a preempt that if <laughs> I am more emotional, that is just the state that I'm in right now. And Farhana is pregnant and expecting a baby. We are hoping in a couple weeks, but could be about any time. So there, yeah. we've got a lot of emotions
2: going on here today. <laughs> in fact, I literally wrote about emotional roller coaster of a week that this is. Yes. <laughs> Last night I was just, and people have been reaching out all day. Thankfully, you know, very lots of support around. But uh yeah, it's it's a it's an emotional time in general. Like. I think the pandemic also, there's like that fatigue also yes. setting for a lot of people.
1: I think you're right. I think there's no question. Now we're over that year mark. And I think people certainly never expected it to go a full year and we're a year and beyond. And, and I know where you are in Toronto and where I am in Michigan, our numbers are not going down. They're going up quite mm-hmm. dramatically. So I know other... Parts of the world and parts of the country are kind of in more of a lull, but that is not what we're
2: experiencing here, so. No, nope. it's pretty scary right th- right now, and on top of that, birthdays are just, in general, very, very hard, even for me. Actually, for me, one of the things that I, I was thinking about is, with Rina, I mix up my two daughters all the time, Isha and Rina. <laughs> yeah, Isha is my little angel, the one who we lost in uh, 2015. And she was only 18 months old when we lost her. And, you know, she had, she was a baby, you know, with her little curls just coming out and Mm -hmm. little things like that were still baby, baby about her, but now she would be age seven this year. And it's hard as the years go, it gets harder and harder to even imagine what she would look like. So it's harder to even connect on that, on that part, sort of it's, um, It's really weird. I
1: think I'm feeling that way a little bit this year, too, because Andy would be 17,
2: and he would
1: be kind of probably through puberty now and not look anything like he did.
2: Like what he did, yeah. So it's just,
1: it's hard for me to imagine him at 17. Yeah. You know, it's funny, because when he died at 14, 15 and 16 still seem kind of close. And in my mind, somehow, 17 seems so much more grown up you
2: know? Yeah, it really is. I mean, I remember like, yeah, that is like, those are the formative years, you know, the awkward voice change. Right. All of that that I didn't
1: ever, ever experience. I don't know what his voice would be like today.
2: Exactly. Exactly. And I think that is the part that you feel robbed of. Right. For the birthday for the, and that is the part that I struggle with the most as well. What would you be like? And yeah, that's, it's hard, dude. Mm. It's hard. (laughs)
1: Well, let's talk about your lovely daughter Isha and yeah. just about her and her first 18 months of life <laughs> that she had and even a little bit before that because I think you knew of the struggles she would have even before she was born. So, why don't you just tell us about Isha?
2: Okay. So, Isha, we got pregnant. This was our first pregnancy. You know that the the doe eyed. I'm so cute and pregnant. <laughs> like the cute pregnant Vibes and the yes. joy, excitement, the fear, all of that as a first-time mom. That was all there until it all got shattered one day at the anatomy scan. Where I was actually my husband was with me at every single appointment, except for this one appointment. He had a meeting, he was at work, and um the doctor after the ultrasound comes and says, We 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 saw something in the anatomy scan. Where is your husband? We need you both to sit and we need to discuss this. And I was like, "What just happened?" Oh no! Yeah. um, Yeah, it was like around the twenty. It was actually around twenty-two weeks. It would have been sooner, but they couldn't get a good view of. She was a little brat. She always has been (laughs) a brat. Her like arm was just covering her heart, and they couldn't get good pictures until they finally did. And they were just like, "Okay, uh, we think it's." They thought actually at first it was truncus arteriosus, mm-hmm. which is a much more significant of a heart defect.
1: Yeah. So that's when the pulmonary artery and the aorta are come out as one instead of as two separate vessels, one leading from the left side of the heart and one from the right side of the heart. When you have yeah. truncus arteriosus, it's all one big vessel. So the entire heart goes into one spot instead of into mm-hmm. two.
2: So just as a little bit of an explainer. Mm-hmm. Yeah yep that's what they thought it was yeah it was and then from that it, they realized it was tetralogy of fellow mm-hmm. tos with the pulmonary atresia so in her case the pulmonary artery the the connection there was completely closed it wasn't usually there's a bit of a narrowing yeah. but in her completely closed which meant the pulmonary arteries were not getting any blood flow so therefore those arteries and the corresponding um the arteries within the lungs were not getting blood flow therefore they were not the lungs were not very well perfused
1: right because that's the way the lungs get their blood from that side of the heart so if they're if that pulmonary artery is not there they would have no way to get real blood flow exactly. to be able to grow
2: mm-hmm. yeah so it was all it was a it was a very intense time learning about all of these things like you know you go from being this new cutesy mom to being like okay okay I'm gonna be a doctor now. <laughs> right.
1: Our, a mom of a medically complex child is entirely different than a brand new mom of a newborn. Mm-hmm.
2: Exactly, exactly. It was fascinating, actually. We're both kind of science oriented. My husband's an engineer and I'm a research analyst. His parents are scientists, his brothers are scientists, they're all geneticists actually. Okay. So like we kind of, you know, appreciated like being taught everything. There was to the more we knew, the better it was for us. Mm-hmm. But it was also kind of you know double edged sword. The more we knew, the more things were scary. Right. Ultimately, we had to. We actually had to make a call because we did a we did an amniocentesis to see whether or not she had the George syndrome or any other uh, genetic uh, abnormalities that would lead to a quality of life issue. You know, Canada is pretty supportive in in this way where you know we were given some choices, some options, and. um in terms of, like, we were basically debating, is termination the better, like, the, the humane thing for her to go through? Mm-hmm. And then we realized that even that process involves giving birth and saying goodbye to her. And we were just like, you know, if we're going to give birth and say goodbye to her, we may as well carry her to term and give, give her that chance, next chance and mm-hmm. see what happens. And to be honest, like, Sean White, the snowboarding champion, has TOF. Like, we learned so much right. about how people can live. And TOF is a very well understood, kind of a well known cardiac defect. So, right,
1: right. And like you said, it was, I mean, originally it would be thought to be less severe than what they originally thought she had.
2: Mm-hmm. Right. That's yeah. right. So we gave her that fighting chance. And man, she like showed us that she was a fighter. Like, for the next, uh, so she came a month early, she came uh, 35 and a half weeks. And uh, we lived the NICU life for a couple of weeks, but she was doing really well. TOF babies generally come out fairly pink. It's over time that they go blue and blue and blue. And uh, one of the things that I had to do was like, you know, not let her cry and deoxygenate too much because mm-hmm. oxygen saturation would dip as she would cry, right? Like, mm-hmm. so, I mean, a new mom trying to like...
1: They call those TET spells. We all know them as TET spells mm-hmm. for Tetralogy of Flow spells. So you... Don't let a baby cry.
2: Mm -hmm. And so like babies cry. So (laughs) I had to learn to sort of keep my anxiety low, stay calm and like get her through it. Kind of like let her calm down and, you know.
1: Right. And it is so important for mamas to stay calm, to get babies calm.
2: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. At three months old, she had her first surgery and she rocked it uh like open heart surgery they created like a bridge going from the pulmonary arteries to the mapcas and anyways they did a they did something to a promote increased blood flow as mm-hmm. she was growing to allow that pulmonary artery to just get a bit bigger and whatnot to sustain like the actual repair surgery mm-hmm. uh whenever that would happen. So yeah she was she went in we went in for a routine just check of her um oxygen saturation and just the general like monthly checkup at sick kids hospital, sick kids hospital, by the way, one of the top hospitals in
1: Canada. In the world,
2: really? Yeah. yeah, It's incredible. And the doctors were amazing. So anyway, so they did the surgery and she was doing, we were discharged in five days. <laughs> she wow. just, she and we were like, okay, like, you know, we got this, we could do this. Mm-hmm. She's going to be fine. And she was thriving. She was doing quite well. Um, the weight gain was a bit of a struggle. Generally, you know, kids with CHT tend to not gain much weight. They're a little mm-hmm. bit slower on that side. And she was tiny, but she was pretty mighty. Yeah. And then uh, at nine months old, they went in, they took her in for the full, like the major surgery that was going to be the repair. They would disconnect the map that were connecting to her lungs and consolidate them to go in for her pulmonary arteries instead. It was a pretty complex surgery.
1: Yeah, very complex. Mm-hmm.
2: It was supposed to be like a six to nine hour surgery. She was in there for 22 hours. Oh. Came out on ECMO on life support. And uh, she stayed on ECMO for like almost two weeks. They tried to get her off ECMO a bunch of times. Then they did a radical procedure. They actually stent it a vessel that had, that they had just sutured the week before. And um, that wow. opened up some things and they were able to take her off ECMO. Okay. And she could maintain her oxygen saturation for a little while. It was basically like March, It was, this was March, 2015. Mm-hmm. And now looking back now, we know this was like the beginning of the end for her. But March, 2015 till July, she pulled some insane stunts she became like infamous at the hospital Some <laughs> for some of the wrong reasons she went septic a couple times code blue was called like three times on her <laughs> you know it was uh, it was a journey but she came out of every single one mm-hmm. and she was alert and they would check for brain damage they would check for like you know every time you yeah finger, you we saw her oxygen saturation go down to Four something ridiculous at that point the number's not even registering right yeah but she would come out of it and she would be like in physio by the next week and she's just grabbing at things playing and doing whatever and yeah she's still she's okay (laughs) yeah wow yeah she was just always things would get thrown at her but she just kept bouncing back bouncing back and I think we got a little bit you know used to it (laughs)
1: yeah that's what I was going to say you do you just think well if they made it through that we're going to make it through anything like nothing's going to keep her down right Mm -hmm.
2: and she was actually discharged and she came home in July so March to July we basically lived in the hospital she had three major surgeries and two cath procedures in her heart and um she she did incredibly incredibly well But we knew this was not the end of her, like they they this was like a playing cat and mouse with her situation. Mm -hmm. We knew from these surgeries and these complications that she was one of the most complex cases of TOF that they had seen in like 20 years. Right. So they were just like, she's pretty complex. And yeah, ultimately as she was growing, it was a matter of like, are her vessels going to be able to keep up? are we going to need to intervene at some point? It was just trying to figure out the best time. Meanwhile, between September to November, she caught a couple of little colds, just little colds. Mm -hmm. And uh, which led her to the ER a few times on IV treatments. And, oh, they had to take out a spleen during one of her surgeries. It was an emergency surgery because the ECMO, there was like a massive clot that got stuck. And they had to take that clot out really fast and, they had to take out her spleen to get to it. So then she was on anti like uh, antibiotics um, for a little while there. She was going to be on antibiotics basically for the rest of her life,
1: right? Mm-hmm.
2: And um, so she caught a few colds and took her down. And took her down a couple of times. And then in December she just we noticed she was getting fluid overloaded, and uh, we brought her into the hospital on Tuesday. And by Thursday, December third, she just she there no. Monday, December 2nd, she had a massive cardiac arrest while as sick kids, while in critical care, because when we brought her in, she was struggling. And then she went, we went from the recovery room down to the ICU just to keep a close eye on her. And right then, while we were in ICU is when she had her cardiac arrest. They did chest, we were in the room, we 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 didn't leave. Yeah. yeah like, are you sure you guys want to be in here? Like, yes, we're, we're here with her. Like, do what you got we watched nurses basically do chest compressions on her uh, for an hour and 15 minutes just like they would be taking turns like one would jump off the bed another one would get up and they would be doing chest compressions while the surgeon was hooking up the ECMO machine mm-hmm. to her neck just to give her that you know there's no coming back from this but to give her that one percent chance yeah they did it they did it all they did everything they
1: could. Yeah. It is really hard when you're in pediatrics, especially it is hard to let these kids die. It is really hard. I mean, I remember families that I took care of with the kids with complex cardiac disease that I developed really close relationships with. And you just, you love those families and you want those kids so desperately to make it that you do sometimes more than you should and more yeah. than is the right thing to do. Yeah. Just because emotionally you just want it so badly just, for them. So
2: bad, I know. And I know there was no sense in actually putting her on at that point. I looking back at it now, but they were just, they, everybody was just, they would not let her go. And as a parent that feels good because mm-hmm. you want to let them go that way either. At least we didn't want to. Yeah. Ultimately, you know, while she was, it gave us time to process and she was on the machine and we were watching that the organs were just, they were, they were, they had sustained far too much damage. They were shutting down one by one. Yeah. And we, we made the decision and, you know, everybody together, like we pulled the plug and that was the end. And she, she left in like, she came in with a bang and she left with a bang, but yeah, in a way she left in, in the best hands, you know, like if I think I know that I saw, I witnessed everyone doing their best and that has helped me sort of be okay with it in a, in a sense that yeah. we everybody did everything they could.
1: Yes. That is something that's really important, isn't it? It, it's, yeah. it was important to me to, to know, even in our car accident, having Eric do CPR on Andy. I mean, he's an anesthesiologist. If he couldn't get him back, no one was going to get him back. Exactly. Right. And so to know for sure that your child had the best care they could have had at the moment that they really needed it is somehow comforting. And I hate the fact that Eric had to be the one to do it. And I really feel bad about that for him personally. But for me to know that he did everything. And for you to know that that team did everything Mm -hmm. is really can give you comfort.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I have to say, I want to just mention that what you guys went through, I mean, I know in a way we, the writing was on the wall. We sort of had death was always looming around the corner for us. So we were, we were sort of ready and it was an easier thing to process. I mean, it was not e- easy, but obviously when I saw people coming into the ER from car accidents or like ending up in ICU from like completely unexpected, like just life just came and hit you with the, you know, yeah, biggest curveball, curveball of your life. I could never imagine how those parents, how you guys even accept and just, you know, process that. Like, it's crazy. I think, to
1: I think it's so funny because I, I end up feeling that way about you because yeah. I feel that way. Like, wow, I I can't imagine having to go through that for those 18 months and for you even longer than that since you knew about it in those last last yeah. 20 weeks or 15 weeks of pregnancy as well. So to go through all of those months seems just horrible to me. And it's it's funny because I just have found that when I've met other parents, when I've met parents who've watched their kids go down this horrible path, my heart just breaks for them. And then those are the same parents that say to me, I can't imagine what you went through. I'm like, what? I can't imagine what you went through. I, I think we just Yeah <laughs> it's just yeah. the way it is. You just you know what you know. Yeah. And you exactly don't know the other so that seems scarier in some ways so
2: I think it's made me feel even more it's made me even more understanding of other people and their plights because you don't know what the other person is going through you never will know right it's so individual for each person what they're going through it could be it could be something small to you but it could be something it could be a mountain for that other person that absolutely, climbing absolutely. you have no idea how hard it is Mm-hmm. And you can't. And I wouldn't want you to know my pain. And I no, wouldn't, <laughs> right? No, no. Yeah. And I
1: don't want you to know mine either. I mean, we've exactly. had our own. That's enough. But
2: exactly. Yeah, yeah.
1: Why don't you talk a little bit about Isha's personality, though? Because I want to know a little bit about, especially those months that she was home and just about
2: that time. The things that would make me smile were things like she's intubated there's like you know there's like wires just everywhere and mm-hmm. she was a tiny complex little child like, like just who could barely move her head but I want that balloon right over there like g- somebody give <laughs> me that balloon she couldn't talk but she could communicate that she wanted that balloon and then you know we'd get a, get it to her and she'd be just like going nuts with the balloon like just play with it until she was just so exhausted and she would just like let the balloon go and she's like all right I'm done I'm gonna take a nap now (laughs) she she was just very expressive she had really big doe eyes with like big eyelashes and Uh she would let you know if she was like impressed with you or not impressed with you and (laughs) she was just a character at the hospital and nurses would come from like other floors and if they were not stationed to be with her that day they would just like make it a point to come see her and say hi to her kind of thing like it was she had an epic first birthday at the hospital I had my very first mother's day with her at the hospital hospital. Mm -hmm. get intubated actually on my on mother's day she she got extubated the night before I was like yes best mother's day gift ever but then on mother's day Sometime in the afternoon, they had to re her. And I was like, Bleh. Okay, not um,
1: best Mother's Day ever, no. <laughs> no.
2: <laughs> but, you know, like, it, it was like a, it was a roller coaster. But she was just steadily always fighting and always finding a way to smile, finding a way of just living. Like, when she was living, she was truly living, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think so many of us go through life kind of, in zombie mode almost we're just like making it through our list of things to do and are we actually living are we actually living those moments being present in those moments I learned that from her that she was always ever present because I don't know I think kids I think kids in general are very present little mindful little beings and she was just she taught us the meaning of like valuing life Mm -hmm what life you have what you have and you have what little you have you don't know what you have tomorrow right you have today make right. the most of it kind of a thing so that's the biggest thing I learned from her
1: Is to not take tomorrow for granted
2: mm-hmm. and she was just she was a joy you know she was a little tiny little bundle of joy she was at 18 months she was wearing I think size 9 to 12 months clothing <laughs> <Just> <laughs> tiny so everybody just remembers her as a tiny little girl with like the soft soft little curls and the big eyes with the lashes and she would just like take over the room all eyes were always on her and she was just like yeah she was a joy mm-hmm. and she was very like smart for her little like we were concerned about developmental delays like physically she was a bit delayed like she just started crawling around 16 months old right and because she was intubated for so long and she actually had vocal cord paralysis from being yes. intubated for so long but you know when her voice came back it was like the sweetest little tiny voice and then she would just she did a lot of sign language and really? she was very good at communicating like she would want row 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 your boat she would tell me she would want that song she would tell she she would just sign and she, she picked up on that stuff so fast and the nurses that would come to our house to do physio and do all that stuff. I'm like, yeah, this girl is like, she's just, she's with it. She's here, <laughs> you know, which was a surprise considering everything that she had gone through that she was very alert and awake and just
1: sort of seemed like your little miracle baby. Mm-hmm.
2: She was, she really, she really was. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: So, talk now about those days afterwards and the times afterwards.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, it was uh, it was surreal having lost her the way we did. But again, like I said, the day we lost her in the critical care, but th- th- that night, I think the CCU room was filled with people like our families. Mm -hmm. Um, my brother flew in from California my husband's parents flew in and everybody just sort of showed up and we stayed at the hospital for another two days and they let us I mean there was no COVID or anything like that at the time so we were allowed to have a crowd uh, in the hospital all of our friends everybody just sort of rallied and they showed up and I remember by the the end of the next night, everybody, we were having pizza in the CCU lounge and with the entire group of people that came and everybody was just planning things, figuring out ideas, what to do for the funeral. Somebody put together a video for us, somebody put together this for us. And that, like, it was just, it was kind of incredible to witness the rally that was happening. Uh I'm forever grateful for that, you know? And it was also, it gave us that space. We, we didn't have to lift too much. We didn't have to do too much work. We were able to process and have our nights of just laying and crying. And there was a meal train that was just, our fridge was like actually overflowing and it was all that jazz. Right. So that was, that was all lovely. But for the next couple of months, you know, there was a lot of struggle because we were going back and revising and looking back and like, what could, what did we miss? Like if we had yeah. taken her in sooner, like, you know, the, the fluid of seeing signs of her being fluid overloaded, that she was in heart failure going into heart failure because she had a little bit of diarrhea and everyone just assumed it was from like her last, uh, last time she was a bit sick and it was just, she was an antibiotic, strong antibiotics. It could mm-hmm. be back, but no, those are also signs of congen, con- congestive heart failure. Right. Mm-hmm. So Would it have made a difference to bring her in sooner? So I remember in January, we actually saw her cardiologist uh, towards the end of January. And uh, we sat together and we went over those scenarios. And I'm so, like, again, they didn't have to sit with us and go over those things, but they took the time to go over those scenarios to say, she was really sick. Like, you know, the reminder is not that anything that something that we did that put her here. If a cold can take out a child that's this complex and this, you know, sensitive, this was going to be a long, hard life for her, you know, Mm -hmm. it happened and she couldn't come out of this. But even if she did come out of it, it could have been that she went through the rest of her life as somebody that has sustained major brain damage or this or that. It could have just been, could have been anything.
1: Well, and if not this cold, it could have been the next one. I mean, the, the next thing one. is, is every single little viral infection could have been the last one. So yeah. you just never knew. Mm-hmm. And honestly, you think about all of the previous ones that could have or maybe even should have been the last one and that weren't.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, that's really it. We, we remind ourselves that that 22 hour surgery in March, she wasn't supposed to come out of that. Like it was a miracle that she did. Right. <laughs> so right. it's like, it, we, we kind of knew that she was here on borrowed time, but we just didn't vocalize it. Mm-hmm. You know, ultimately the realization that it's a CHD that took her. It's not us. Cause I I was, I was her primary. I, I wasn't working. Yeah. Um, thankfully I had, Canada is also pretty amazing in that way. I had critically ill childcare leave. My desk and my work was waiting for me to come back to. Oh. I actually went back to work in April, four months after she passed away.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And during that time, that from April to October, October is when we got pregnant with our current daughter, Rina. And from April to October, I had access to employee uh, health services, mental health services. When I got pregnant, I was given a psychiatrist through the hospital who specializes in, you know, when you've lost a child. And to be pregnant thereafter, Mm -hmm. because you're hormonal, you're (laughs) reliving a lot of those traumas as you're going through pregnancy. And Mm -hmm. learning another little girl was kind of like, it was like a mentally hard place to be, right? Yeah. So I had a ton of support uh, where I did a lot of work on, on myself, finding peace right um finding some peace with all of this through all of this and there were also some very like miraculous moments uh, after she passed away things like the day she passed the day we pulled the plug we were at the hospital for two more days after we didn't actually come home till i think it was friday that we came home or saturday, or saturday. and the worst feeling is to come home empty-handed right yes. you know hitting the door I we used to have that bucket car seat in her arms, always bringing her in.
0: Yeah.
2: But at this time there was nobody, but there was a sign on the door that said, "We have repl- we planted a tree two years prior. There was a big ice storm, and we lost a city of Toronto tree that was on the property.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: The, they said at some point they were going to replace it. They replaced it the day she died.
1: Oh,
2: without wow. us, no- we weren't even home because they they have access to that. Uh, park because it's part of the city of toronto property line and yeah and it's now there's this beautiful elm tree an elm tree is like a it's like a significant tree that it's like a i don't i don't really believe in that kind of stuff but it's kind of nice to read about the literature behind Mm -hmm. you know what trees represent they represent like a gateway between life and death and um and as we call it isha's tree (laughs) because you know at the hospital we were just kind of lost what do we do now do we what kind of a memorial can we do? Like, I don't know. We we never thought about these things. Right. And the city came and planted a tree the day she died without us knowing about it. So that was kind of like, but that's the first thing I did. Instead of going to the house, I went straight around to go find this tree. I was like, what? So that was kind uh, of. Yeah. And then we went to the cemetery the next day, which is right behind where our, housing complex is like in the back corner there and uh, we're very close to cemetery basically and we went in there and we asked them do you have any plots you know etc and like yeah yeah we have uh, a few plots they're right here on this little strip that they call elm Elm avenue and I was like oh Uh, thing (laughs) we'll take it (laughs) yes wow right like weird, weird little things were just sort of Lining up, the universe was just sort of, I don't know. Those was, little, was,
1: gifts, the little, little gifts. Little gifts,
2: I think. Mm-hmm. Little gifts, yeah. Yeah, and then, you know, we had her funeral and all that in December. And between February and, I would say, August that in 2016, we explored, like, my husband's, uh, he plays a musical instrument called tabla. Um, he got back into music. I got back into dancing, which, you know, I had always been passionate about, but I'd never pursued But I started pursuing it, you know, it was just, it was a joyous release kind of a thing. (laughs) And we started going to music festivals and things like that. And we were at this festival in, I would say in July, where we're all, this is 40,000 people at this festival. And we're all like, you know, we're dancing, we're loving life. And next to us, like not even like an arm's length away. Is Isha's entire core team of people that helped her during, like, I think these, some of them were like ECMO specialists, some of them were uh, oh art nurses. They were all hanging out, like, right, right next to us. We just looked at each other, and we're like, "What are you doing here?" And in, the, in a group of forty thousand people, to find them right next to, like, we're standing next to each yeah. other, just enjoying the music and dancing, and we were like, and then, and they told me, like, "This is Isha's magic." Like And and they used to tell me, Isha's magical, Isha's magical. And we're like, yeah, we can see that now. Lots of other moments. Like I was in the office one day and, oh, being in the office, that was an interesting experience, you know, coming back to work the first time, mom, how's the baby? How are you doing? A lot of people didn't know. Like, oh, you haven't heard, you know, she passed away and everyone was just like, oh.
1: Yes, yes.
2: (laughs) Consoling them was like a thing. And it became kind of hard. There were some days that I would just like, I would lock myself into somebody else's office who's not there and close the door and have a good cry. Right. And I remember there was one specific day that I was just, it was hard, really hard. Yes, it was March. It was, it was March, um, the day that she had her surgery just the year before. And the body kind of remembers these traumas. Like, I didn't even know what date it was until I was like, okay now I now I realize why I'm feeling uh-huh. this way. Uh-huh. I'm reliving that crazy 22-hour surgery days what, what's what's coming up for me right now anyway so I locked myself in the room I was like, just sitting and crying in the dark and I get a text message from one of the nurses that we got close with saying that hey you remember that guy used to like complain about well he proposed and I was
0: like what and i just oh. messing
2: with her back and every time in like the worst of the worst moments with just really down, I find somehow I get a message from one of her nurses or some sort of like a pick me up from, from isha in some ways. Again, I am not a very spiritual or like a religious person, but I'm starting to understand that there's things in the universe that are beyond my control, that if I just give in, give in to those feelings, amazing things happen. And I've been lucky enough to have experienced a bunch of these things. So yeah, it's been a ride yeah, <laughs> to say the least.
1: So it's hard to say you're not a spiritual person now because now you are certainly more
2: so. Than I you know. Yeah. I think I am starting to get a bit more spiritual. I think, yeah, I do believe in like energies and like a lot of just when you put yourself out there and how things just sort of come together for you. And I'm, I'm starting to believe all that now the affirmations is part of that (laughs) where you are just you um you say these words and you believe these words and then they come to fruition for you
0: Mm -hmm.
2: it's like it's it's putting your energy out i think it's like a very important thing that i didn't i never used to care about these things before uh before isha so yeah it's been very transformative in that way
1: I have had two different people write to me in the last couple of weeks, actually, about pregnancy after the loss of a child and how you keep the memory of the first alive after, you know, and just going through pregnancy and then how to raise a child just and still keep Isha alive in their mind even though they've never met her. So, I think y- you would be a good one to ask about that.
2: That has been I think the greatest surprise for me in all of this in this entire journey. Uh my daughter, Rina, the way she connects with her big sister that she's never met. It's it's beautiful. It's incredible. In fact, that's kind of how a lot of my Um, journey into this uh, children's illustration space sort of came up. Um, So Isha, of course, I mean, we have pictures of her everywhere in the house, right? And Mm -hmm. when Rina was a tiny baby. Rina was born in 2017. You know, we walk around the house and she's in my arms and we look at pictures and that's Isha. And that's all she knew. But around the age of two and a half, when, when Rina got some language skills that she could ask questions and she was like curious and she vocalized, she started asking about her sister. Like that is basically all she wanted to do all day, every day. <laughs> so it kind of forced you, it forced us to process a lot of our feelings about Isha with a little child and explain to her what happened. These are not like, easy conversations to have even with adults let alone a little two and a half year old toddler who's trying to make sense of this world yeah she would just it was beautiful she would like tell me a story about Isha and Rina uh okay going to the zoo all right so once upon a time Isha and Rina went to the zoo and we would start making up stories about like her and her sister doing things if in the alternate world, if yes. she was with us, right? And storytelling became a huge thing in our in our home. And then a part of me just started like thinking, okay, I I should write these down, or I should I would love to illustrate these or draw something. I don't know where to start because I mean I'm a research analyst. I used to do art when I was a kid, and and never. So then I enrolled in university to study art. And I found, the first course I found was Children's Illustration Studio taught by this amazing teacher, uh, Willow Dawson, who herself was a sick kid's kid her whole life because she had some complex lung issues. And I was like, what are the wow. odds that you're this like, incredible like artist slash teacher slash illustrator for kids? And that's the person I'm learning from. Like, it was mm-hmm. amazing. Regardless, Rina, the way she processes her sister and subsequently the loss of her sister where she she will say very openly i'm i'm sad about my sister i want to see her i want to play with her and we we don't shy away from it we tell her "Nina, i know you're sad we're sad too let's be sad together we hold each other we we go through those emotions together as a family and it's only made us stronger. I think it's made made her very very sure of herself. As a kid, she's mm-hmm. very sure that she'll just tell my dad, "You hurt my feelings when he <laughs> takes away TV from her or something that you're you're hurting my feelings." <laughs> but she's just learned to identify her emotions and talk about these things very openly, very clearly, and it's actually a blessing. Mm-hmm to have that perspective of just like, yes, it's okay to feel sad. Yes, it's okay to feel angry. Like, you know, when she says, "I you know, I wish she was here, she'll go dance around Isha's tree and she'll sing a song to Isha. It's just like, we watch her do these things and we're just always blown away Mm -hmm. that this little person (laughs) is, you know, grieving and is processing all of it so purely and so openly, and it makes us do the same. So for us, pregnancy and having a child after having lost one has been in a weird way, very healing.
1: Yeah, uh, it sounds it.
2: Yeah, but it's also, you know, there are moments where I think once Rina passed the age that Isha was, and yes. she was doing all of these things that Isha never got to do, those were some, you know, I I could see I could see what was robbed, what was taken away, yeah. you know, things that should have been. But again, Rena keeps her close in her heart, and she brings her sister with her everywhere. So it, it, that's the other side of it. The flip side of it is like, yeah, I feel I feel sad, I feel down sometimes. But then there's so much beauty and so much like just so much beauty in everything that's. Uh, being done in her honor, in her, in her memory, that it's it's hard to ignore.
1: Well, and I've talked to other people who feel like their kids have more empathy towards others than they probably would have as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think I see that in my own kids. Certainly. It's just, you're just, your emotions are just so much different than other kids, your age. And I think just because you've experienced so much and As parents, we try to protect our kids from some of these hard emotions, but Mm -hmm. in fact, a lot of times it's what makes them into beautiful people too.
2: I think so. I think if you can connect with the dark, the hard things, it makes you, in a way, it makes you more mature. Mm -hmm. And there were times when I would want her to stay a baby. I don't want her to, this poor little girl to have to talk about her. My sister, she died. (laughs) Right, (laughs) right, right. right. She's just like, she's three and a half. And she's like, I have a sister, Isha, but she died. And I'm just like, "Uh, I wish this poor kid didn't have to go through that. But then again, it also makes me so proud. Like she's just so mature and wise beyond her age.
1: Well, and in some ways it's, it's good that she's doing that because then it does make other people uncomfortable, which you sort of feel bad about for a second. And then you think, you know what? they should be able to be okay with this too and not just shy away. I mean, I think about all of you going back to work and all of those people saying, how was the baby? And the second you say, Oh, I guess you haven't heard. She's gone. They immediately just freak out, back up, want to crawl into a hole and wish they'd have never said anything to you instead of, and when they have a little girl like this, address it in such an open, honest way, I think it teaches them to not shy away from it.
2: Absolutely.
1: To be like, okay, I I did just say the total wrong thing, but let's move on from there and not hide from it and, um, and just be open about it.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. No, that's actually, this pregnancy, this time around, um, I'm having a boy this time and uh, which, is, which is a new experience and I was well we were in the middle of uh, I think second wave and lockdown and you know things were a bit more depressing that I didn't have my dance I didn't have my other outlets things that you know keep me up so it was like exhausted the first trimester of just being like <laughs> a zombie yeah yeah I was feeling kind of and I was very hormonal actually this time around. I don't know, it could be the age too. Um, I'm just I just turned 39 this weekend and um I'm feeling it this time <laughs> around. <laughs> this pregnancy. So like aches and pains and just exhaustion, right? And I was feeling kind of depressed. I was feeling kind of low and down and just like, ugh, like. And that's when I reached out and I started looking at affirmations that I had next to my mirror in, our, in my bathroom. Mm-hmm. It's been there since 2018, uh, no, 2017. Uh, a nurse, we in Toronto, we have this program called Healthy Babies, Healthy Children, where a nurse will visit you, I think once or twice a month and sort of check in on you and see how you're doing with the baby and give you some strategies for the baby in their developmental stages that they're mm-hmm. at. During a maternity leave, and our maternity leave was like twelve months long. Actually, this maternity leave for me it's going to be eighteen months long. So it's uh, oh wow, yeah no, it's we're super super lucky to have that. Anyway, so I I lo- I started looking at those affirmations. I just started. I was feeling really down, and I decided I wanted to have just I'm just going to illustrate these. And during my illustration course in 2020, with that teacher, uh, Miss Willow Dawson, I came up with a little Isha character, a character that I think would look like Isha if she was here with us at age seven, mm-hmm. which were, like, I told you, like the biggest, the hardest part of yes. these birthdays, these moments, like not being able to imagine what they would be like at this age, right? Mm-hmm. So doing that was an incredible experience, emotional and fun, beautiful and I came up with this little character. She has a little zipper scar on her chest. She's wearing a pig sleeve. Mm-hmm. I decided okay, I'll use this character to, t- to show these affirmations. You know, I can choose my own path in life and various other affirmations. I can set boundaries, things you need to remind yourself of. And I think all kids could benefit from it, especially kids that are unique, that are medically challenged, who may find themselves feeling shy about who they are like oh I don't fit in I don't belong or whatever right it's a way to give them some strength you know so I just created this over the I think over Christmas holidays I just sat because couldn't go anywhere Christmas was basically canceled (laughs) so I just like sat and drew out these affirmations and I shared them and A lot of people really, like, it resonated with a lot of people. They're like, this would be so great to just have, like, a poster or something just to, you know, look at every day that reminds you of these affirmations. So I did magnets and posters at first, but people started asking me for, like, a book version of it. I was like, I I wasn't planning on writing a book. But, like, okay. (laughs) Okay. Okay, cool. So, but I didn't want the book to just, these series of pictures, I thought if there's a space for kids to write in it, so we, I created a, I worked with an amazing, lovely publisher, um, Golden Horse to Publishing, and she helped me come up with an idea of like what what is it that you want people to get out of this? And I said, a place for them to reflect, or to write down things. Yeah, I want to choose my own path in life. What does that mean to you? Like, what choices have you made for yourself today? So asking those types of questions and writing out some answers it's like a little journal book so that I published that during CHD Awareness Week which was uh February 8th to 14th this year and so that was really fun to do like and well all the while I'm working and I'm pregnant just like a little nuts but it was like this it just it it was like a roller coaster that came up with this pregnancy because I was feeling so down I wanted to come out of I wanted to do something good and positive and and remember Isha because again yeah. everything pregnancy for me takes me further and further away from my time with Isha right like she's just going further behind further behind in my memory being replaced with all these new experiences new memories with our two kids now so so I just I, I felt like I had to do something for her and with her. And, and with her, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Just with me. And now she's out in the world in this as this little character. And uh, it, this project is only going to get bigger over the next little while during my maternity leave. <laughs> I have lots of plans. <laughs> yeah, it's been something. Like each pregnancy has taught me something new. A new way to explore myself. Explore and share with others. And
1: yeah. Well, and I have gone to your website and it's just beautiful. Why don't you tell our listeners how they can find you on the website?
2: Yeah. So the website is www.shaktiartstudios.com. Shakti, S-H-A-K-T-I, art, A-R-T, studios.com. On there, you'll see two things, two projects. Actually, the first art project that I started was... Um, Life After a Loss series, which is basically, you know, if you've lost somebody or if you've lost something, it, could, it, may not, it may not be that you've lost a person, but like, you know, you lived the NICU life, you lost the innocence of motherhood uh, by having to go through a lot of hardship. There's like a grieving period there too, when you're become a parent of a medically fragile child, because that was never, your, never in your dreams, would you imagined that you would have to do that. So even those things, like what have you learned from it? Uh, if, is there a saying? Is there Are there words that really resonate with you that signify this moment, a teaching moment from the person that you've lost or from an experience of loss? So I've come up with, so people will submit. So one client actually submitted a picture of her sister holding her baby. And her brother-in-law holding the baby in a different angle, but she wanted to combine the two because they didn't have very many pictures of them together, like in a cute little family photo. Mm-hmm. He was a preemie child. And uh, I think the, the quotation that she wanted to put on there was, a person's a person, no matter how small. Mm-hmm. And so I did the illustration of like putting them together with the baby and having the quotation on top. And she presented that to her sister. It was her sister who had this child and, uh, So that was like a really fun project to do for her. And it's just, it's essentially donation-based. Like, you know, whatever you think you want to pay, all the money just goes straight to Isha's charity at SickKids uh, for SickKids uh, Foundation. So that's something that's there on my website. So clients can uh, submit their pictures and anything they want to Uh, state and it's a it's a simple drawing illustration with the words that's kind of the idea behind that beautiful
1: that's a beautiful one that you just Mm -hmm. talked about there that one is on the web page that you can see that's on the web
2: page yeah you'll see it on the website and you'll see one with me and my husband as well holding Isha with all her she was wearing a CPAP machine and all that and another one um yeah I have three things up there and then the affirmation series is the more colorful, joyful one. It's basically just—it's uh, nine or ten illustrations, actually, of um, a, of Isha imagined at seven, explaining these little affirmations. You know, about the setting boundaries, about you know, mistakes are a stepping stone, just to remind you not to fall into the, your own traps that you set in your own heads. Can rise above all that you know you learn from your mistakes you grow from them all these little affirmations illustrated so you can get magnets you can get posters and now there is a journal book that you can get as well uh, that's available on amazon and um, it's available through my website as well for local pickup but yeah that's that's what's there right now and i'm actually hoping to do more of these affirmation series with other moms of kids Depicting, depicting their children that have medical needs in uh, you know unique medical issues and illustrating them mm-hmm. bringing them to life not just not just Isha so it's, 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 a, it's a bit of a daunting task but I'm really excited about doing that I've been talking to a few parents and seeing you know who wants to try this out with me and
1: Well, it's a beautiful project. I just, I loved seeing it. I looked at it again uh, right before interviewing you today. And that's what got me more emotional because I just thought they were so, so beautiful. Just all of it, the whole idea of it and the idea of you doing this together with Isha, just in her memory and just to make more good come of her life. So thank you.
2: Yeah. Thank you. Thank you and so thank much. Thank you
1: so much for being on the Always Andy's Mom podcast today. I really enjoyed talking with you.
2: You too. You are incredible. What you're doing is amazing, sharing all this with.
1: And, you know, you, I was having kind of a down day, and I do appreciate your light because it has given me a little lift today, and I know it will to others as well. So thank you.
2: Thank you. Thank you, Marcy. Very kind of you.
0: Thanks for listening to Losing a Child, always Andy's mom. Please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player. We are always looking for new show ideas. If you'd like to be a guest, know someone who'd be a great guest, or have a show idea, please email us at marcyandysmom.com. At be sure to visit the webpage, andy'smom.com, for more content, including Marcy's blog. There you can also sign up to receive updates via email. Together, let's work to inspire hope one day at a time.